0: very happy to be here on Wacha Ngawahocha. We acknowledge the elders past present and thank all of our First Nations people in our lives today for teaching us the importance of the country that we step on every day, how to care, how to treat lightly, and how to make an impact for future generations for Indigenous mm-hmm. and non Indigenous Australians. Um, my name is Jeremy Smith. I am the very proud producer of the Plumbing Lines WA. Um, welcome to the first public event of the 2022 Polyon. Today was the first day of the Collion Artist Lab, which for the last two years has been focused on emerging arts workers from culturally diverse backgrounds. And this year, with support of both DLGSE and My Place, have pivoted to support emerging disabled artists. So we have (laughs) 10 incredible artists joining us for the next week here at the Blue Room. And thank you to the Blue Room for their support and hosting us um, to work under the tutelage of. And with the truth, I should say, of um, five ally artists we're calling them from WA and from Victoria, and of course our lead mentor, the wonderful Caroline. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Caroline, I was just going to explain her own introduction, but she not anything um, <laughs> um, but Caroline and I have been in each other's orbit now for oh let me just have a Four years? Four years, I think. So I knew the of the legend of Caroline, but then it wasn't until she arrived back in Melbourne in, um, to commence as the CEO of Arts Access Victoria, and I was at the Australian Council for the Arts at that stage as the Head of Community Arts and Experimental Arts, where we struck up a bit of an allyship and a fierce accomplice um, relationship with each other. And so it's so wonderful now um, that board allow us to, to bring Caroline over to be part of this week's activities. We're so grateful, and I can't wait to sort of see what the space evolves into Mm -hmm. um, under your care and camaraderie. Those two artists that are going to be working with. Um, Like I said, thank you to our partners and sponsors. Big thank you to Simone Baudel. Big thank you to our team at Performing Arts WA um, for supporting us to develop this initiative over the last few weeks. Um, I won't talk any longer. I'll hand over
1: to Caroline. Thanks, Jen. Hi everyone, Um, it's a pleasure to be here with you and thank you Jeremy for that very generous introduction. Um, I really like that thought of you and I in each other's orbits because um, that's exactly what it was really. Um, It's a pleasure to be here with all of you, thank you so much for having me um, and giving me such a warm welcome onto um, Noorland. land. um, We're reminded through a beautiful welcome today that we all have the potential to change lives that we come in contact with. And um, yeah, it was a really good reminder. I think I'm very, um, I've spent a lot of time thinking about legacy and the legacy that we leave and um, the cultural heritage that deaf and disabled artists bring to a space that are rarely thought about or acknowledged. and. I'm really excited this week to be um, working with 10 incredible artists to really think about their legacy and the cultural heritage that they are also landing in the space and imprinting on each other in a way um, and the whole team. So, thank you for having me. Um, Jeremy said, Can you just come and talk about what you've done? I was like, Sure, in a good way, right? That yeah. Um, so, it all began here. Uh, this is me and my two big brothers sitting on a, a kind of stump. Oh, hello! It's going to go on its own. Um, I'm just going to go back. Sitting on a stump um, of wood on our family farm, which is in the middle of nowhere. Um, in Victoria, in a place called Cancuna, which means murmuring waters. And um, this is where my dance career started, on my next-door neighbour's dining room table, with me thinking of myself as Liv Newton-John from Greece, hence the very bad, tiny uh, leotard there, and my pink ladies, obviously, at either side of me. Um, I always loved dance. I knew that when I grew up I either wanted to be a ballet dancer or an ice skater. (laughs) Not the most practical things when you're a wheelchair user and I had never seen any other wheelchair users (laughs) who'd taken that on as a career but for some reason I thought I might. Um, It was probably a few years ago that I had a little moment of reflection and kind of went, oh my gosh, Well, I'm not a ballet dancer but I am a dancer and that's my job and it's kind of interesting to see the evolution of that dream. Um, Mostly at this age I just bossed my brothers around and pretended I was a teacher or something. So um, interesting, but this is where it all began. In 1996, um, some of you may remember, Kanduko were coming to Australia for the first time. And for those of you that don't know Kanduko Dance Company, they are probably one of the world leaders in integrated dance um, in the world. Um, And it was quite a coup that they came to Australia, they came to Melbourne. And um, I was invited to become, I was 25, and I was invited to become part of a program, a 12-week program, Um, in contact improvisation. So in 12 weeks we learnt what contact improvisation is. And for those that aren't familiar with the term contact improv, basically it is dancing in physical contact with another body. As someone that lives with fragile bones on a daily basis, not the most sensible dance option to take uh, because it's all about weight sharing and being moved by other people's weight. But it was the first time in my life that I really landed in my skin. It was the first time in my life that I really got to explore the edges and the brilliance of this strangely awkward body as I'd been led to believe it was and what it was capable of. And it was the most significant moment in my life um, at that time. In 2002, I, I, I danced with, so as a, as a result of Kanduko coming, um, a company that some of you might be familiar with, Weave Movement Theatre emerged through that process, and um, Weave still exists. It's still running in Melbourne um, under the very amazing care and wisdom of Janice Florence. Um, who I now have the pleasure of working with at Arts Access, she is our Access guru. Um, But I always credit her with me having a career in dance because if it wasn't for Janice, I would never have had such wisdom, I would never have learnt from another disabled dancer in such um, an incredibly generous way. So I, I hold Janice responsible for a lot in my life and I tell her that all the time. When I was dancing with Weave, every time we performed, I kept thinking, oh my God, imagine if I could actually do this every day of my life. Imagine if this could be my job. Imagine if I could teach other people. I could help people land in their skin. Imagine if that was my job. But it was never going to happen if I stayed in Australia. So in 2002, I moved to the UK. I moved to get married. I got out of that after five years, I had a little heterosexual holiday until I reminded myself (laughs) that I was a lesbian and I needed to be with a woman, not with a man. Um, But I decided to stay in the UK anyway. But in that process, I, again through Kanduko, I had a mentorship um, with some of the dancers from Kanduko coming to Newcastle where I was based. So, Geordie, wherever you are, I'm very familiar with the Geordies. Um, Your name is very familiar to me and very dear. Um, I remember going into Janet Archer, who was the Artistic Director of Dance City at the time, and saying, OK, I'm here. I've been dancing in Australia for six years. I want the opportunity to dance. What are you going to do about it? And she said, well, I can offer you a mentorship and so she brought four dancers from Kanduko to Newcastle to work with me and what that did was it brought other like-minded dancers to me and from that um, a company called The Fathom Project came into being. Fathom was um, basically an improv performance dance company and um, it was amazing. We were together for about six years until I moved to Scotland, and um, yeah, and we stay connected, but we've all gone off to have our own careers. In this time also, I met um, a dancer called Fiona Wright and Fiona was a very experienced dancer and had just completed her PhD in dance. Who knew that that was even a thing at that stage? I was like, what? Um, But Fiona became really interested in wanting to work with me to teach me choreography that had been living in her body for 10 years. So she had this whole bank of dancers, dancers, not dancers, dancers that lived in her body, and she was really interested to see what would happen if she taught those dances to my body and then to learn my version back onto her body. So we went into this kind of really interesting movement research where we went backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards and we became this company called Girl Jonah. Girl Jonah went on to perform at British Dance Edition, Dance Umbrella, Dublin Dance Festival, all these big festivals that meant nothing to me as a little Australian. I was like, we're going to what? Oh, BDE, is that a thing? They were like, yeah. And it was that stuff that got me kudos in the UK. Before that, people were just like, whatevs, we don't know who you are. But suddenly I was kind of propelled onto this trajectory and all of a sudden I was kind of being seen by audiences that, weren't expecting a body like mine within that space. It's still early, it's 2004 at this stage. Fiona and I danced together for a really long time and um, until again we kind of evolved away from each other but we stay connected. And this is an image um, from a piece that we made called She Was a Knife Thrower's Assistant. which came out of um, I had been away working on another project, which felt very beige. And she said, I came back, and she said, what do you want to do? And I was like, something edgy. So we oh, made, she was a knife thrower's assistant.
0: In that voice?
1: Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. It involved lots of bras and undies and not much more than that. In 2007, I was invited to go and dance or do a, a tour, a spring tour, with a company called Scottish Dance Theatre. They're based in a little, can't well, a quite a remote, well, it's not even remote, but it's not in the central belt of Scotland. It's in a place called Dundee, which now has a V&A museum, a Victorian Albert museum, so it's kind of gone up in the world, but everyone was a bit like, Dundee, why would you want to live in Dundee when you could live in Glasgow or Edinburgh? And I was like... No, I'm going to Dundee. So, hence I went to Dundee, and I toured for six months um, with this company under the very beautiful, watchful eyes of the artistic director at the time, Janet Smith. Janet, there'd been a change in legislation in the UK in 2006, and so basically, if you were publicly funded or you were providing a public service, which dance companies were considered to be doing, you need to make that accessible. Imagine that. Imagine if we had a piece of legislation in this country that said we had to do that. How much would change? Amazing. So Janet said, well, if we need to become accessible, I need to bring disabled dancers in to teach us, or so that we can learn how to do this. So there were four disabled dancers that came in to dance, and I was lucky enough to be one of them. And we toured um, all over the UK, um, and it was amazing. And at the end of it, I said to Janet, you have done something that no one else is doing. Because Canduco was touring the world, of course, but they were an integrated dance company. Scottish Dance Theatre were just a mainstream dance company that had bought disabled dancers in. And I said, I think we need to evaluate this. I think we need to put a resource pack together so that we can pass it on to other companies and tell them how we did this. She said, I think we need you more than that. So, uh, they made me their dance agent for change. And I was their dance agent for change from 2008 to 2012. Um, And I'm gonna come back and talk about that because just before I slipped off to do that, I made this piece called Proband. And I made this piece, and this I would describe myself as a reactionary choreographer. I make work because something drives me to do it. And I'd been to see a show at Sadler's Wells, a very famous dance house in London, with 1,500 people, probably more, in the, in, the, um, in the audience. And I watched a group of dancers of a very well-known company, pretending to have ataxia on stage, pretending to have involuntary movement. And I just sat there going, I am A, hugely offended by this. I am thinking that if they were real disabled dancers with ataxia on stage, would we sell out 1500 seats in a main house in a big glitzy kind of venue? Probably not. So, it lit a fire in my belly and I applied for some money from a place called the Welcome Trust, which funds SciArt. So, shows that bring science and art together. I had a background in genetic counselling. So, after getting my degree in um, performing arts, I worked in lots of admin and then I went back and I trained as a genetic counsellor. So Proband was an opportunity for me to bring my dance and my genetics knowledge together. I worked with a scientist that had discovered my genetic mutation and everything within the piece was based on my DNA. The lighting, the sound, the movement, choreo, everything. And it was very cathartic. (laughs) It felt really good to put out into the world. and, yeah, if you want to know more about me than you ever wanted to know, just Google Caroline Bowditch Proband and you can actually see the seven-minute um, film that was made. It was a 30-minute live show, um, but it also became a seven-minute dance film, um, which kind of captures the show. Anyway, so that was Proband. So getting back to... I've moved I moved to Scotland. Ta-da! Here I am. I arrived in 2008. I'm in Scotland. I'm working as a dance agent for change. And when I arrived, um, my role was still kind of being worked out. But one of the things was that we um, it was really important that I actually showed people dance rather than just talking about dancing. And so we set about making this tiny little piece that was going to be in shows for schools basically called interactives where we kind of take work apart and expose when the dancers are counting or show them what different lighting states can do to the mood on stage or whatever. And we, I performed this tiny piece with um, another dancer. The, sh- the piece was called The Long and the Short of It. Um, and uh, I'm three foot four. 103 centimetres and the dancer that I was dancing with was six foot six. So we literally were the long and the short of it Um, and we did it at the school show for the first time um, and one of the principals of one of the schools that had bought their kids said why is that show I mean why is that piece not in the main repertoire of the company and Janet kind of went oh I don't know I guess we hadn't really thought about it and he said well I think it'd be really important to take it on the show on the road. So I literally went from having an admin type job and some teaching to being on tour with the company again which I then did for the next four years of my life. One of the most joyous parts of my role, my job, my career has always been around teaching and I got to um, be the director of dance with a company called Paragon Music. Um, and we worked on this piece called Make Music Move, or this program, where we brought young disabled people together as a school holiday program, brought them together, and in a week we would make a piece. So we would work with a group of musicians, and we would work with a group of dancers and lots of young people in the middle, and um, we would make a piece in a week. And I met some of the most extraordinary young people in that time. And what I discovered is how little access young disabled people have to disabled adults and how important and significant that is. So I met a young woman who is fabulous and I still have contact with, who kind of came in at 15, a like grumpy 15-year-old, kind of sat there with her arms crossed and went, I don't even want to be here, my mum's made me come. And I was like, that's cool. We're just going to go in here and do some dancing and you can join in whenever you want to. By the end of the week, she was like, right, I want to dance as a career. I'm going to go and study. I'm going to do all of these amazing things. And she's still dancing now. Um, And she spoke at a conference very passionately a couple of years after that. And my favourite quote from her was, yeah, sure, I can't dance like Beyonce, but she can't dance like me either. And I was just like, my job here is complete. I can now leave. I've done all that I need to. Um, I remember we went into a a special school, a specialist school, um, which there are still a lot of in Scotland. And um, this little kid ran into the room and kind of went, are you our teacher? And I was like, yeah. And he ran out into the corridor to all these other young, disabled people and just went, Oh
2: my gosh, guess what?
1: And they're all like, what?
2: She's one of us!
1: (laughs) I realised at that point that that young person had never ever met another disabled adult. There were kids in that school that were growing up believing that their disability was going to disappear because they never saw anyone that looked like them or experienced anyone like them in the world. And I just thought, this is horrendous. We need to change this. We need to do something about it. So I've continued to work with young people and I love it because it's really significant, and I think that's why um, the welcome to country we have today really resonated with me because I think we can change people's lives. Um, at Scottish Dance Theatre. I made three pieces. The first image that you can see is um, from the long and the short of it. This is me and uh, Tom Pritchard, who is now um, working for Circa in Brisbane. It's very bizarre, tiny world. Um, the next piece is from a piece that I co-choreographed with the fabulous Mark Brew and Janet Smith, called NQR, standing for Not Quite Right. Um, and the fact that none of us are ever quite right, but we do a lot of bluffing and we get on with it, Um, so it was really interesting to expose that. And then the last piece is a piece that I made with Mark Brew called The Leftovers. And Mark and I um, are very, very dear friends in that we lived together for six years, Um, and it was really interesting to make work with him because he's such a different choreographer to me. So him trying to make work with my lack of choreographic brain was like, I could just see him going, Can you just remember this movement? That would be really good. Um, But he was patient and we got this piece in the end. I'm just going to check for time. Okay. I'm going to try and speed up. Um, (laughs) Did someone say no? Um, Lee, in 2012, in the UK, an amazing thing happened. The Olympics came, yeah? And what that also meant was that there was, yes, the Olympics and the Paralympics, which was amazing, but there was also a cultural arts program that sat alongside the Olympics called the Cultural Olympiad. And um, a funding kind of program called Unlimited, emerged as part of the Cultural Olympiad, which was about investing in deaf and disabled artists. And it was the first time that we'd seen really significant investment in disabled artists. And the unlimited grants were all about ambition. It was about making big work, making work that you could never have imagined and you could only apply for a minimum of £50,000. So that's about 100 grand, right? couldn't apply for less than that. I was like, (laughs) I'd only ever applied for 5,000 or whatever. And uh, like even getting that was like, and I know we continue to make work in this country on the smell of an oily rag, but it was amazing to just be told, no, it's about ambition. Be ambitious. Ask for lots of money. So I somehow did. And I also made a wish list of things I'd never done before. I'd never made outdoor work. I'd never worked with more than one dancer. Uh, I'd never... What else hadn't I done? Well, I'd never worked with a massive set. Um, and so I decided to do all of those things because, you know, why not? you got lots of money. Um, and I was really lucky that, they, that my piece was picked up. I'm going to show you a little snippet from this work, but before I do that, I just want to say, in the 10 years that Unlimited has been running, 13.9 million pounds, 26 million bucks, has been invested in deaf and disabled artists. In this country, between 2014 and 2018, there was on average, About 250 grand invested in deaf and disabled artists nationally. So, when we ask ourselves, why don't disabled artists progress in the same ways in Australia as they do overseas? That is why, my friends. And often it is the same artists that get the money time and time and time again. It's tricky. Let's have a little look at some of this. I'm going to apologise at this point because this doesn't have captions, the other films that I'm going to show you do, but this one doesn't so I'm sorry if that's what anybody needs.
3: between 150 and 500 people for each of the shows and we've we've had 13 in everyone I think that for lots of people that have never seen contemporary dance before it's kind of a strange but wonderful thing to do
1: She wasn't paid, <laughs> I didn't know her. Um, we, we performed that in Edinburgh in the festival outside and we only lost one show which is quite miraculous really. Um, that show we did for a time, and um, actually it was that show that um, uh, is where I first connected with Wendy because Wendy was being the director of, well, at South Bank and was being the director of Unlimited Festival and we had um, uh, a static version. So the dresses that the dancers were wearing had faces on from a, an exhibition that we'd done pre the live show happening where we I talked to people that had left somewhere else to move to East London that had been born in East London and never left anywhere um, or that had been in East London not by their choice. And so we, we I interviewed 12 people and we did this beautiful kind of installation piece with their recording of their stories and... Um, objects that were really important. Like we had stories coming out of teapots and um, backpacks and all sorts of things and I, I just met extraordinary people. So, um, Yeah, that was a lovely thing. And then there was a live show um, as well. Um, I'm just going to touch on this talk. was made in 2003 and was based on renewable energy. So I worked with a group of engineers. I learnt the engineering. I would then take that wisdom to the dancers and try and make it Make sense to them so that we could make choreography from that work. It was really interesting and um, a lovely, lovely thing to do. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) Falling in Love with Frida. I made, I started making in 2014. Um, and it, uh, some of you might have seen this. It came to Melbourne in twenty sixteen. Wendy programmed it um, as part of Unlimited in twenty sixteen as well, um, maybe or twenty fourteen. Um, it wasn't, um, it wasn't an Unlimited commission. But Wendy just came and went. I want that show in the festival. Um, so thank you for having it and putting us on that amazing stage that you did. Um, we performed Falling in Love with Frida 93 times before we finally put it to bed in 2018, but it's, um, it's kind of 10 years in two years, so we're thinking, what do we do with it next? Um, but let me show you a little snippet from Falling in Love with Frida and then we can talk about it some more. It's got quite a loud soundtrack, just to give you a heads up.
3: Really inspiring. life like
4: affirming. The shapes, the smiles,
0: the colours. It's really beautiful. It's a sad story, but it's done with real affirmation. Seductive and funny and really radiant, huh?
1: fond memories of Frida. It was a real um, experience for the senses. You would come into the space and you could smell watermelon, cut watermelon and tequila because we served tequila to the audience within the first three minutes of the show, which always made it good. Um, it was about the lives, loves and legacy of Frida Kahlo, the Mexican painter. I wanted to reclaim her as a disabled artist. And I wanted to tell that story because the story of Frida has been told a million times, but as the director of the Museum of Frida Kahlo in Mexico said to me, no one's ever told the story from a disability perspective, so you must do that. So I did, that's what I did. And um, we loved her, (laughs) we love her. Um, I also did something very, Maybe tricky, maybe, I don't know, manipulative. But I knew that if I attached Frida Kahlo to my name, people would come. And they did in their droves because people love Frida Kahlo. And they were never going to come to falling in love with Caroline Bowditch, even though people said that's what happens. Um, But it's really interesting because the last thing I say in the show is it's about life it's about love but essentially it's about me and actually the whole show was about Frida's life and mine entangled and how they connected, how they crossed um, and were interwoven and it was always a joy to perform and yeah. I, I don't think I could do it now. I think physically, I don't know. But um, I've performed it with broken legs. Like, it's amazing when you're the choreographer, what you can do. You just kind of go, oh, just change that. Um, <laughs> the other interesting thing was that we embedded British sign language into the show. So, or in Australia, it was Auslan. So every show had sign language interpretation embedded into it, not at the side of stage, but in it as one of the characters. Um, and so it wasn't an optional extra. People couldn't choose to have a non-BSL show. It was like, that's what you got. You're buying Frida? You get it like that. Um, and that was really interesting to see what happened. And um, a gentleman approached us that had come to see, he'd come up from London um, to Edinburgh Festival, where we performed it twice actually, two years in a row. Um, and he kind of came to us with tears streaming down his face at the end. And I was just like, oh God, what have I done? And Yvonne, who was our um, interpreter in the show, just said, This is the first time in his life as a 60 year old man that he's come to a show and someone has thought about him. We touch lives without even knowing, like we make those choices and we don't actually realise what we're doing um, to the world. Mm-hmm. The rain's coming. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take you from, um, we're nearly there, uh, from one from one extreme to the next. So Frida was all about sex and tequila and kind of sensuality. Laura, who's in the room, my partner, um, and I, discovered um, that we started to do some research around, or people kept prodding me to make work for young audiences. Would you make work for young audiences? And I was like, oh, I don't know. So Laura and I set about spending about 18 months doing some research around ch- going to children's shows and um, seeing what was out there. And we realized that what was on offer for young people involved white, standy-uppy, 20-somethings performing on stage. There was very little diversity in the bodies that were being shown. There was very little diversity in the stories that were being told. It was very cookie-cutter. And rather than just whinging about it, because I'm a reactionary choreographer, we set about making two works for young audiences. One for three- to eight-year-olds, which is The Adventures of Sniggle, Um, which as you'll see is where I get miraculously transformed into a giant snail Um, and this is a show that we performed up and down the UK at outdoor festivals primarily. So let's have a look at Sniggle. very sad that Sniggle went away. So The Adventures of Sniggle was beautifully designed by Laura and I obviously got to perform it. Um, I made a promise very publicly when we were performing Falling in Love with Frida that I would never ever make another work that had text in it that wasn't interpreted. So for Sniggle, I had to learn Sniggleese,
2: <laughs>
1: and Sniggle means snail in Swedish because it was the Swedes that had pushed me to make children's work. <laughs> so that felt appropriate that we would um, we would have Sniggle. But yes, Sniggleese um, was all that was spoken uh, by Sniggle the whole time, and um, it was very fun. There's no; it's just a sound. It doesn't mean anything. But I had many young um, autistic kids come up to me and say, interpret for their parents <laughs> what, what Sniggle was saying. It was really interesting um, how that connection was made about, I'm going to tell you something, parents, that you don't know because I, am, I can understand Sniggle. And it was a really, really beautiful thing. Um, but making one children's show isn't enough. So we also made another one. Uh, But we made Sniggle and Friends for under ones. So for teeny weeny weeny babies. Um, Again, Laura did the the, the set and the design for this show and it was extraordinary. Um, The set was built around me and it was built for my size. So it was only 20 centimeters off the ground because that's the length of my leg from my knee to my foot. Um, and it meant that I could easily move around the set. The other big rule that I made for the other dancers was that they weren't allowed to stand up. It was a mixed cast of disabled and non-disabled dancers, um, and the non-disabled dancers were not allowed to stand up. I flipped the coin. As a disabled dancer, I've constantly been striving to be more like a non-disabled dancer. And for this show, I just kind of went, nah, we're flipping it on its head. We're making it so that it works for my body and other bodies can conform to what that is. So we made Sniggle and Friends. Let me show you a tiny bit of this. We made that work for babies, yes, but more we made the work for parents of those babies who might at some stage have a diagnosis that they don't currently have and we wanted to remind them that disability is not a tragedy. Disability is part of life and it might come to some people and it's just part of humanity and who we are. That show was nominated for a Total Theatre Award at Edinburgh Festival. No one had ever nominated a baby show for a Total Theatre Award before because why would anyone want to do that for babies? We love it. Um, It's a joy. Uh, And I could never have made work for young audiences before I did in my career because you have to let go of all of your ego. There cannot be any ego in the space, because it's not about you, it's all about them. And you have to respond to who's in the room. And it was an extraordinary process. Can I have a time check? Because I'm really conscious I've crapped on for that. <gasps> Thank you. Um, I'm nearly there. I want to talk about Nature of Wire, which some of you might have seen at Perth Festival, programmed by the fabulous Wendy Martin. Um It was the last piece I made before leaving the UK in collaboration with the Parrot Orchestra, um, the British Para Orchestra. Uh, I'm just going to show you and then we can talk about it.
2: When you explain a why, you have to be in some framework that you allow something to be true.
1: Uh, so happy.
2: Yeah.
1: The nature of why: 10 deaf and disabled musicians on stage, an 11-piece string ensemble that we pick up wherever we go with it, um, four contemporary dancers, 200 up to 200 audience members on stage with us at all times. We perform it to an empty space, and it is just joy. Um, Every performance was live audio described, every performance was sign language interpreted, every performance had captioning, every performance was relaxed because there were no seats and everyone was encouraged to move. There was seating around if people needed to sit on it. If people tell you accessible theatre, good accessible theatre can't be made, they aren't knowing what they're talking about. It's about choice. That's what I've discovered is access is about choice. It's about choosing where you put it in your budget. It's about choosing where you put your energy. It's just a choice. It's about where it is in your priority list. And for me, it's always at the centre and at the top of the list. And for most others, it's towards the bottom and it's if there's any left over. Accessible, amazing theatre can be made if we make that choice. The last thing I want to just tell you about is what I'm doing currently, which is... um and being the creative lead for the first Arts and Disability Festival that's been seen in Melbourne um, in 10 years. It's called Alter State. It's a collaboration between Arts Centre Melbourne and Arts Access Victoria. Um, it's a slow festival, so it's happening over four weeks. Uh, we want to talk about it, or we are talking about it, as a relaxed festival. And I, again, have put my foot down and said, every performance has to be Auslan interpreted, every performance has to be sign language, well, has to be live audio described every performance has to have captioning we're just it's just about making that decision and that choice thank you all for listening i'm sorry i've gone on too long (laughs) (laughs) probably got about 30 seconds for questions but i'm really happy Really happy to answer See, any needs questions. To sort of step out, relax, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And step around, please feel free, but I think we can have a few minutes for questions if anyone has more um, any questions of Caroline. I, think I just wanted to um, remember actually that when we brought
4: the nature of why and we brought the nature of why over, I remember the sort of disability and leadership form and, yep. that, um, and I'm just reflecting actually because I remember a number, once, a number of us in the room time to try yes and one of the things that you said at the time that really made impression on me was you know if you want disabled arts leadership you have to invest in it because you don't get there without investing it and that takes time and i think i remember a number of us in the room said okay we commit to investing in disabled arts leadership and making pathways in between some of our organizations and i feel like I well, would we have done that perfectly in October, hasn't really been great yeah. for that. Some of that stuff that is happening, and I feel really, I just want to credit you actually with some of that, you know, that, for me anyway, that started a really... I would already been on the journey, but there was something about you coming there and the nature of wine that was just somehow it was like, yes, well, it is a choice. It's a choice. Let's make a choice. Mm-hmm. So thank you.
1: Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for that reflection. That's really lovely, and I think I mean you've the amazing Julia Hales. Hello, Woo! is about to go to Edinburgh International Festival, yeah. mate. That's really significant to come out of WA, especially around disability leadership. And I know there was there's lots of support around Julia, but yeah, she's gone great guns, which is so deserved and what needs to be. Thank you
4: wanted to reflect on the nature of why it's like <laughs> um, And one of your producers at the time we were actually we were going back and forth about Auslan because that festival which you know Festival was pretty proud of their accessibility program and your producer just said yeah but why should someone who uses Oslan have to choose which night of the four shows yeah. we go and well, no one else has to do that and we were all just a bit like wow oh, that's a great point <laughs> and and we you know we did it we made it happen mm-hmm. and it just really is um I mean, yeah I, I think that like the impact that the nature of parrot orchestra and yourself coming here um has been has it's had both small impacts like that and really large ones and i i think all of those impacts are important and i just you want know, to thank you charles and the team because for me as well it's quite a um, yeah it was a it was a pretty big uh, and I think that very
1: fun Thanks Gemma, that's really lovely. Hi Sam.
4: Hi, I've got a question about collaborating with, uh, between collaborations between disabled and non-disabled artists and keeping that disability-led ethos. How did you find that with the works that you've worked on with, I mean, yeah.
1: Long story. I've discovered I'm really hard to say no to Yes. because I think people are scared to get it wrong yes. and so if I ask for something they'll kind of go they'll have to have a really good reason why it can't happen mm-hmm. um, and I think that is that is a about fear but I think also it's about that thing of acknowledging the limitations of someone's knowledge yes. and kind of going actually you know better <laughs> that this can be done so we, we will take your lead on this um, and I think I've been brought in for very specific reasons I've been brought in because I will kind of go I can make this happen mm-hmm. I, I can do th- I know it might be uncomfortable for everybody else but I actually feel very confident in this space and so we can make it happen and you're lying, you're it's <laughs> yeah yeah and I think I, I choose my collaborators very carefully mm. as well, sure. and I won't go to places where I think... I mean, Charles the whole time was just like, push us. Here. We want to do this. And I kept trying to talk them out of having me as the choreographer, and they were like, no, we'll wait. We'll do whatever. We, we want you to come and be with us to do this. And I was like, I've never worked with live musicians before. There's other people. And he was like, no, so it. Come. The thing was so
4: amazing. It. Is it did the thing that everyone wants theatre to do, which is breaks down every barrier. Mm. The audience were performers that you know, people interacted. There was no whole thought. It mm. was just like be who you want to be in this space. Yeah. And I, I don't think I've seen anything that so allowed everybody to be themselves. Mm. Mm. Uh, and react in whatever way you want to mm-hmm. react go up close and stare.
1: <laughs> you know? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. did all of that. <coughs> oh, Adam! Hello. Hello! Yeah, I'm sorry, I just back to Also, I,
4: mean, I found I seeing those very beautiful and very moving, particularly the sneaker ones. Um, I don't
0: know, something about that just made me very happy and very sad at the same time, but happy sad, I
4: guess. It was really beautiful, very mm-hmm. awesome, and like you said, like, if of children, you have to, the ego has to basically not exist, and that's in case. You have to just be, just, just be what the kids need you to be, and it's just so selfless and so beautiful. It's oh, yes.
1: glorious. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thank you. Yeah. That's really lovely. Thank you. Um. Oh, oh,
0: sorry.
1: oh. Oh, yes.
4: What's that? Yeah. Um, I guess.
3: Um, it really resonated with me when you said you were
1: 25 and you started thinking
3: about dance as a career. Um, at what point? not At what point? What would you say to that 25-year-old girl now? Get out of Australia. <laughs> 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 what happened? You just spot to
1: Australia. <laughs> um, make it happen. Like find the people that can help you make it happen, because there are people here that will. Um, I think you just got to find those people that will help you make that happen, support you to do it. Be your cheer squad when it feels too hard to just kind of go, you can do this and be really clear about what it is that you want um, if you know and sometimes that's really hard when you're 25. But, um, yeah, yeah, find your cheer squad. Gather them round you.
3: Yeah.
4: Thank you. Um, I feel like this was such an amazing at past and kind of like a journey through um accessibility in the arts through your personal work over the last couple of I was wondering what you think the future holds or what your goals are for you know, access to the arts, you know, leadership and disability, like these sorts of things. I was wondering what your where you'd like to see it go? Like, what, do you, what would you hope the future holds in the next
1: however many years? Um, I want lots of disabled leaders leading mainstream anything and everything. Um, I also don't want anyone to have to ever disclose what their access requirements are, but they'll just be there. And that'll be really clearly communicated. Um, uh, I want everyone to feel that they have a space and a place that's essential within the sector, and I still think that's not quite where're a long way from that yet. Um, I think we can all I mean there are so, it's really interesting working with young emerging artists coming out of places like VCA or training institutions now and just how evolved they are. And I think the challenge is that those spaces still aren't accessible to lots of disabled people. Um, and that's challenging. But um, it is really interesting to be having those conversations. I think every arts leader should be looking for a disabled uh person who can be their succession. So I think there's a really big thing for succession planning and we need to be actively seeking those people um, and finding them. Yeah, that's my thought. And that's not to say that non-disabled arts workers and and people don't also have a role in this space, but I think it's about being connected and really bringing disabled people into those decision-making processes so that there's not just um as someone said it's not just about having a voice at the table but it's actually about deciding what the table is and who else is there and not having disabled people on this solitary like not just one disabled person but actually there's there's kind of that thing about safety and numbers we don't want to be unicorns forever Um, Because it's really exhausting to carry that weight. Really exhausting.
4: I like that film. It's beautiful.
1: Thanks very much.
3: I love that tone.
1: Which one, Pat?
3: That one on there, and I like the film.
1: The last one? Mm -hmm. That nature one, yeah. Thanks, Mm -hmm. Pat. Thank you.
2: Thank you very much.
0: Okay. Thank you all <laughs> for making the effort in such hideous weather conditions as we have heard. That yeah. everyone gets home safely. Um, and we're here all week.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, we're here all week.
0: I hope some of you are lucky enough to have had a spot at Friday night's uh, conversation as well, we because oh, okay. um, it's oh, so bad. Yeah. Thanks for the blue
1: room. Though. Yeah. Thank you all for coming. Amazing. Oh, Thanks no, thank very you. much.
0: Yeah,
1: Safe journeys home. Oh, it's so indulgent, no, isn't it? No. Let's have an hour to talk well, about me. That was the purpose of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's
3: it so great to hear your first
4: story. Yeah. Like
3: I've known
4: you for years, but I didn't know I, I know all those bits but yeah. hearing it. As a journalist. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Oh, Pleasure. Well, thanks for being part of it. I know. I feel so honoured, like, watching that to have been part of it. I mean, but nature, wise. that nervous. just made me cry. Yeah. That's, that was the place. I will never forget, like, I came, I think, three times. Yeah. But going, you know, where's the river? There. Oh, you know, oh, yeah. going from the room where everyone was and it was like this.
0: Where were you on the heat from underground? What's that? No, it was on the stage. On the
4: stage. Yeah. yeah. In the, whatever the I'm Michelle from Sensorium. Everybody. Hi, Michelle. So lovely to meet you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Nice yeah. to meet yeah. you. It was the last time we came and returned, and it's actually, you know, we did actually sort of take that on and that whole issue about... Because we make work for children, yeah. we felt like we were not you know, we weren't reflecting the Australian community. Yeah. So we sort of decided not to be an integrated company, but just to reflect the Australian community, and that was that was a modest goal. But yeah, we've been starting to do that, and you know, of course, we haven't got it right, and we lots, and we always learn lots by doing it wrong, and was, but yeah, we're on that journey, so it's really awesome. exciting because we just felt like. So important for kids to to see themselves. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, in different ways. And it's been amazing, actually.
2: Yeah,
1: great. Oh, well, lovely to meet you again. Yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, Have a great week. Thank you so much.
3: Thank you you very, very much.